0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So here we are in week 10 of Romans. We've been going through Romans for the last, uh, this is now our 10th week out of 12 weeks. So we have two more weeks following this Sunday, which is crazy to think that we're already in week 10. Uh, But today we get to jump into Romans chapter 12. So we've talked about sin. We've talked about the law. We've talked about justification. We've talked about grace. And we've even mentioned sanctification. And and today we're going to dive a little more into that that idea of sanctification, which is the continuing of the perfecting of the saints, right? this ongoing process of God working on us and shaping us and molding us to be like Christ, to be who he has called us to be. And it's one of those things that that we are justified immediately, meaning that our sins are forgiven. We stand in righteousness of Christ, right? And so we stand before the Lord as if if there had not been sin, right? So we stand forgiven. But sanctification is that ongoing perpetual process that, that is never completed. If you reach a point of fully sanctified, here's the reality, you have died and now entered into heaven. Heaven. Congratulations. You are completely sanctified. Way to go. Uh, but, but here's where we are. None of us in this room are sanctified fully. I know this to be true because we're all alive. And so uh, Corona hasn't gotten us yet. So uh, have no fear. Corona hasn't hit Dallas. Don't leave. I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm not worried about corona to the full extent. Maybe I should be more worried. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm t- anyway. So sanctification is this continual process, right? So we're all working to become more like Christ and who he's called us to be. How many of you would say, and I'll put the, be the first to put my hand up, that I, you still have faults in your life and things that you recognize that need to be better, right? Hopefully that's all of us, because if you don't see that, then we need to pray that the Lord reveals those areas to us so that he can work on us to continue to make us who he's called us to be. Amen? That'd be a good place to say amen. Amen. Yes, we are not there yet. And so Paul wants to talk about that as we get into Romans chapter 12 today, that listen, there are things that that we need to deal with. There are things that we need to work on. And he says, and I believe it starts with the mind. How many of you know that, that the beginning of all things start with thought? Uh, in, in, in Stephen Covey's book, the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says everything is created twice. So it says first in thought, and then the second is the actual creation or, or, the, or the carrying out of whatever it was you thought. And so the mind is this place in which we have to be transformed and renewed so that we think like Christ And not like the world. And so we're going to talk through that today and walk through what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. So let's start with the very first two verses this morning. And Paul says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then verse two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And hopefully this will stay in place now. There we go. So start with the word therefore. So therefore, in this moment, Paul is referring back to everything he has already written in this moment. He's saying, therefore, because you know you're a sinner, because you know you need the grace of Jesus to be justified, because you know you are now free from the law of sin and that you are free to now live in righteousness because you are been covered in grace, that you now don't have to be bound by sin anymore. Therefore, since you know that the law cannot save you, since doing good deeds does not make you righteous, he says, since all of this that I've talked about, everything that we have gone through, everything that we have gone walked through and discussed, everything Paul has laid out, says, therefore... Because of everything that we've gone through, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Why do we do this? Because of the mercy of God. How many of you are thankful for the mercy that has been given to you? Amen. How many of you are thankful that that because we are, uh, are not good people, right? because of the sin in us, we did not receive what we deserve? We did not receive in us the, the due penalty, right? We, we, we receive the grace of Jesus when we surrender to him. He said, so in view of God's mercy, because of the mercy that he has given you, he said, because of all of this goodness that God has blessed us with and the fact of, of not receiving this penalty of death that should be ours because of the sin in us, he says, in view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, present yourself, Offer yourself, give yourself as a living sacrifice. So obviously in this time period that Paul's writing to and the people that he's writing to, obviously they would be fully aware and and, and full of imagery and understanding of sacrificial offerings, right? Because it wasn't just the the Israelites who were the ones offering sacrifices to their deities. It would have been so many religions that would be bringing the animals to the altar, killing them, sacrificing them, and laying them there before their deity, before their God, whatever it may be in that moment. So they're fully aware in this time period and understanding of sacrifice. And Something that that we don't fully grasp or see or or have real imagery. And I've talked before. I went to uh, uh, Tanzania, Africa, and we did this awesome uh, hike and did all this crazy stuff. We went to this village where you couldn't even drive in. We had to hike over this mountain. It was a beating, and it was awesome. It was amazing. And then uh, I was thoroughly impressed by the eight-year-old kids that ran over the mountain that morning to meet us. And then they took off running and were waiting for us, and they got back. And I'm like, you did this twice today. Congratulations. You are Superhuman. I don't know what to tell you. I just couldn't imagine going back and forth in a day. And and some of them are like, I'll carry that for you. And I'm like, and there goes my bag. I'll see it in five hours or, <laughs> or however long it you know it takes me to get there. It took nine. So it was like, huh. And they're like, here's your stuff. And I'm like, great. <sighs> Thanks for carrying it. You know, I don't know what to say. But when we get there, it was a a big moment. It was awesome. They were like, you know what? We have a special meal for you. And and this is the closest I've ever been to seeing like a sacrifice of an animal. Because the animal was not laid on an altar before us. But they took this pig. This is right by Lake Malawi. And they take them and they walk over to right by the water. and, And one guy stands over it and holds it with a knife while these other little boys are standing around and watching. They're learning how to do this. And all of a sudden, you just hear this pig just like, you know, whatever. And they just... And next thing I know, that thing is on a stick rotating over a fire. And I was like, we're eating fresh pork tonight, boys. Uh, This is as real as That's the closest I've seen to sacrifice, right? So I I don't fully grasp and understand it. But the, the people Paul's writing to, they get it. They know what's being asked of them. And so Paul's saying, offer yourselves then as this sacrifice. So they understand the, the, the pain and the agony that the animal goes through in the moment. They understand that, that there is bloodshed. They understand that there is, there is going to be fire involved in this. And, and in the mindset of thinking I'm going to be a sacrifice, that doesn't sound pleasing or appealing. And then the irony of being a living sacrifice that comes alongside of it. Like, How do I lay down my life as a sacrifice and still live? So there's this competing imagery that, that Paul is using in these words, because the thought of a sacrifice getting up and walking off of the altar means that something went wrong, that the sacrifice wasn't fully complete. And Paul's saying, no, no, give up all of who you are. Give up yourself for the work of the Lord. He said, this is true and proper worship. He says, surrender your ideas or your thoughts or what you're gonna accomplish and what you're gonna do, what your life is gonna be and say, you know what, Lord, I surrender to you fully. I lay myself down as a sacrifice to do your will. And this is how I live out my worship unto you. He says, holy and pleasing. That word holy is a fun word. It means consecrated, set apart right? He's saying, live a life of sacrifice that says, you know what? I'm going to live in such a way that is holy and set apart. I'm going to do what I can to please the Lord, right? I'm going to do all that I can to bring joy to the father. I'm going to do all that I can to put a smile on the Lord's face because I want my life to be holy and pleasing to the Lord. I'm going to do all that I can. So, so that means I'm not going to try to do things that please me, so it's not about pleasing self. And now how many of you know that in our world, that, that selfishness runs rampant, right? It is a, a epidemic in our world. It is a real problem. We are born with this innate desire to, to please self. This innate desire to do what we want. That is why children learn how to say no quickly, right? It's that process of going like, don't do that. Oh yeah, you don't think I am gonna do that. Thank you very much because I'm too, and I know better. And you're like, okay, great. Right. And it's right. And it's this the struggle. Because you're born with that desire. And so we see that. And so Paul is saying, it's not about pleasing self anymore. Now we've in view of God's mercy, right? Because of all that we've discussed and all of this, this incredible doctrine and theology of what God has done for us through his son Jesus and the life that Jesus you know he said, in all of this, he said, because of this, now offer yourselves back to the Lord. Say, God, I lay down my life for you no longer willing to try to please me, but doing all that I can to please the Lord. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you know that the pattern of this world is contrary to the Lord's pattern? It's the opposite of, right? You know, the, the, the world says, get yours while you can get it, right? And the Lord is saying, no, lay down your life and please me instead. And it's this, this conflicting idea. So the other side of that is, is when you see the pattern of the world, what do they do? It's a lot of, you see self-medicating. You see, you see a lot of different things that, that build upon the issues and it just gets worse and worse and worse and it ever expands. And that's why you find people that are so low and so desperate and so hurting because they have conformed to the pattern of this world. And so the Lord is saying, no, 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 no. Don't don't run to what the world runs to, to try to please or try to help you feel better or to make you feel like you have worth and all. of so he says, that is not where you find worth. That's not where you find value. That's not what you try to do to please. You know, because all of that becomes this selfish, selfish, inward, pleasing mentality. Say, no, don't conform to that pattern. That does not build you up. That does not breathe life into you. In fact, the pattern of this world is a, a pattern that leads to death. You see, the pattern of this world does not encourage eternal life. It does not encourage spiritual life. In fact, it encourages death. It encourages spiritual death, emotional death, physical death, because it only pulls down harder and harder. He says, don't conform to that pattern. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed so he said the word world in this verse is not the Greek word cosmos, which means the created world, right? So we have the created world, which would be this Greek term cosmos as far as creation. That's not the word that's used there. Uh, the word that we use is, is a word that is ion. ion. You can, listen, I'm not a Greek scholar, so I just make up pronunciations. A-I-O-N. And it means age, as in the time period of that world. So when we look at it, it's not not Paul saying specifically in that moment that, uh, that that there is a like this specific world. He said, don't conform to this specific world. No, he's saying to the age. So that is, it makes it eternally applicable, right, where we go, the age in which you live in. Don't conform to the pattern of the age around you. So the linguist Richard Trench, uh, he, he gives a, a really good idea of this meaning. And what he says is, he says, uh, it, that word, aeon, he says, it came to mean All that exists in the world under conditions of time. It says it includes all the thoughts, opinions, maxims, speculations, impulses, and aspirations present in the world at any given time, which may be impossible to accurately define, but which still constitute a real and effective power. The moral or immoral atmosphere we breathe. That's the age. All thoughts, impulses, ideas, everything about it, except the axioms, just all of this, that is what that word defines. That's a lot wrapped up into one word where you go, whoa, this is so much more than just like, don't do what people do that don't know Jesus. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this age. So thought process has to change. The way you think has to change. And so then we see that, that Paul says, so be transformed then by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is also used to mean transfigure in Matthew 17 2. It means something like a metamorphosis. And it describes change from within. Scraps change from within. So it's not this, this change that happens by, by an outward influence. See, that's what conforming is, right? It is an outward influence causing us to then create and change behavior to manip- be manipulated to look like the outward influence. But transformation, this transfiguring, this metamorphosis is an inward change that only comes by the work of the Spirit. It only happens by the work of the Spirit. So if your mind is going to be transformed, if you're gonna be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that is the work of the Spirit saying, I am going to now rearrange the way you think. I'm gonna transform and manipulate. There's gonna be a metamorphosis of your mind, of your thought process, which then translates into the way you live, the way you work, the way you act, the way you love, the way you serve. All of this then pours out and stems from the transforming of your mind and the being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it's this overflow and this outpouring that then feeds into every aspect of who you are because you've now stepped into complete surrender to the Spirit to allow Him to work and renew your mind. How many of you know that... that having a renewed mind is, is one of the greatest things in the world. Have you, have you ever just, you've been working so long, you're working really hard and you just, you become physically tired and you go, you know what? I'm so, my mind is tired. My, I'm just mentally exhausted. I've been there and you know, and you go and you're like, you know what, I need to get away for a while and you step aside and you go to whatever place you like to go to just completely refresh and rejuvenate and all of a sudden it's like, and you step away and it's like all of a sudden you can think clearly again Things aren't jumbled and muddled. The Lord is saying, listen, I want you to be renewed by a transformation in your mind. I want you to find that, that that new freedom to think and operate and act the way I want you to, to have freedom of thought the way I want you to, and the way you need to be led, so that you can think and act clearly, so that you can be effective for my kingdom. Because he says, he says, Why is this? Why do we need all of this? So that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, when our minds are conformed to the pattern of the world, we cannot see clearly then the will of God. And how many of you know this, that God has called you, has made you for a purpose and for a reason. He didn't just accidentally have you come into this world and go, you know what? There's really no purpose for them, but we'll let them stay. That's not the way God operates. If you're on this planet, it's because God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And there is a reason why you are here. And so he says, transform your mind, be transformed through the renewing so that you can know the will of God for your own life to do what God has called you to do specifically. There are people in this world that I will never be able to reach that you can reach. There are people in this world that I'll never be able to be a part of discipling that you will have influence in their lives. And until we are completely transformed and renewed through our minds, we will not be able to be fully used of God because we won't be able to test and approve the will of God for our life, his good, pleasing, and perfect will because God has a plan for you and you have to recognize that and understand that before you can move forward. So you know what? God does want to use me. He wants to use me. Here's the great thing about the gospel is that God doesn't, look for perfect people to save. So you may go, how can God ever use me? You don't know this and that. You know, that's that's fantastic. That's great. We've all done wrong things. We've all done bad things. But by the grace of Jesus, we are made righteous and available for use in his kingdom. So with that, Paul jumps into now the next section. The second thing this morning. So the first thing was, um, I forgot my point. Our transformation, the second thing is this our service. So verse three, he says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Amen. 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 But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you for just as Each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, right? I can't pick up a whole lot of stuff with my toes. I can pick up a lot more with my hands, okay? So in Christ, we, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So when we're in tune with the will of God, then we find our purpose. It all begins to come into focus. I want to jump back real quick, just to the beginning of that little part where he says, "Don't think too highly of yourself." I've been in church a long time, right? I've grown up in church. I have literally gone to church now for almost thirty-six years. It's, we're getting to that point, which sounds a lot older now. Um, for some reason, when I say it than when it's written. Okay, so it's just really funny. So. Uh, so I've been coming to church now for my whole life, and so I've been doing this for a while, and I know this, that in the church, and that I've found them at just about everywhere we've been. No one here yet, just FYI. I don't have anybody specifically in mind as I say this, so, so don't be thinking about other people. But I have found that there are those in church that think that they are God's gift to the church. You come across them, and you're like, oh, okay. And it's almost as if they have this error and this persona about them that says, like, if not for me, there would be no church, and none of you would have found Jesus. And it's like, yes, thank you. I owe my salvation to you and then Jesus. That's the order in which it goes, right? And they have this persona, this perception of, like, I am so great. My sister and brother-in-law had to deal with this one lady on their worship team for a while, and it was, like, the craziest thing. And you hear these stories, and you go, That exists? Like these people are real. And so being in worship ministry for a long time and and having uh, done worship for a long time, you kind of sense those people long before an audition ever even happens, right? And you go, you know what? We're not looking right now. And maybe you really are, but you go, I don't want to deal with that. We got a good thing going. There's good chemistry. There's good, God's working and moving. So the last thing we want is to come and bring that attitude and this pride and this arrogance in that just disrupts it. So Paul says, hey, cut it off now. Don't think of yourself too highly because the reality is the church needs all of us. There's not one specific person that is going to keep it all together, keep it moving, keep it functioning and working and going forward. There is, we are all serving and playing a part and playing a role within the body of Christ. So, so be aware of your giftings and don't think too highly of yourself because there's not one gifting that is more important than the other. And the other thing you need to recognize and understand here is that Paul is not stating that you can only have one gift or you can only do one thing in the church. That's not what he's saying. So don't misinterpret that where it's like, well, okay, you prophesy and you give, so you don't give and you better keep your mouth shut, right? That's not what we see happening here. Paul is saying like, if if these are your gifts, use them. Because we even see Paul in, in, in his letter to the Corinthians he's like hey uh, seek the gift of prophecy right he's like long for this strive for that go for that ask the Lord for the gift of prophecy right so he's not saying like now everybody should prophesy and nobody should do anything else no so we have to understand that this is a working of the whole body of the church together in unity to accomplish the will of God right because we have now tra- been transformed we're now seeking and finding the will of God and now we know our purpose within the body within the church and so then moving forward. Now we are working in unity together to accomplish what? The will of God. He's saying, so, so don't become so arrogant or proud of what you can do. Listen, I've got a friend of mine who can literally do everything. He is one of the best preachers I've ever heard. Not, not making this up. One of the best singers I've ever heard. He's phenomenal. He can dance like crazy, which is something I just cannot do. I have tried and tried many times in front of the mirror, looking like a complete fool. And just walking away disappointed and discouraged. Can't do it. He's an incredible basketball player. The dude is shredded, he's just ripped. And I'm like, get your shirt on. I don't care if you've got 5% body fat. I do, but I don't want to see it. And you go, man, he would have every right to be like, well, I am the Lord's gift to the church. Because he kind of is. But he doesn't walk with that attitude. He doesn't walk with an arrogance about him that says, man, I am just better than all people. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me with, I'm about to go to MC Hammer. We're not going to do that. He's like, thank you. You He doesn't walk with that mindset. He walks as to say, I want to do the will of God. I want to do the will of God. And whatever that is, I want to be used. And because of that, God uses him. Here's what I've seen. There are people that may walk with this higher uh, you know, perception of themselves than they ought to, right? And they think it more highly than they should. And here's what happens. There's one of two things. One, they're not very good. Or if they are good, God will limit and restrict their ability in the kingdom because he will not bless pride and arrogance. And that's the reality. You want to see somebody get shot down quickly, let them walk in pride. Because pride goes before destruction. And God carries out his word. So that's what you see. So he's saying, don't, don't walk with this mindset, but find your place in the church and then serve, do. So we're stepping into a new season uh, in our church where we we're finding that, that as, we, as we begin to try to continue to grow and, and push and move forward, that now there's more serving opportunities. And here's what we find in the scripture here is that saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve the church. And it's a part of it. It's a part of, of being a part of the body. We are called to give to the church with our time and with our abilities and with our talents. And then we're called to give in other ways. But, but in this, he's saying, listen, bring all of your giftings to the house and use them for the kingdom of the Lord. And you may think, man, you found a great way to kind of twist and manipulate and use it. No, this is the word of God. This is what the Bible tells us and calls us to do. In the body, there are many members and they serve different functions, but they all belong together, being used together for the kingdom of the Lord. And if if our desire is to reach the lost, if our desire is truly to see people come to know Jesus so that their lives are forever changed by the grace of God, then we have to be committed to giving all that we can to do all that God has called us to do. It's imperative, it's necessary. Saved people serve people. So if you have the gift of prophecy, use it. Use it. If you have the ability to serve, then serve. Listen, I think we all have the gift of serving at some level. We can serve, right? If you can teach, then teach. If you are a good leader, be diligent in it. If you're an encourager, send it all my way. i could I'll tell you what, Just I'm just kidding. Be an encourager. He's saying, be aware of the gifts that God has given you. Be aware of what he's placed in you. This isn't like an exhaustive list. This isn't like to say, this is all that can be done in the church either. That's not what he's he's saying. no, just be aware of all the giftings in the church. Paul is in this moment saying, listen, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of things that can be done. Let's be aware of those things and let's do it. Let's work and let's serve the church so that the kingdom can move forward. Jesus gave grace to people that deserve nothing. We can give our lives to a God that deserves our everything. The third thing is this this morning, our love. When our mind is transformed, when we're renewed through the transforming of our mind, one, it affects our service, two, it affects our love. It affects our love for people, the way we love our enemies, the way we love our neighbors. It affects, it brings to light true and sincere love. And here's what he says. Starting at verse 9, he says, Love must be sincere. What an an incredible idea. It's kind of sad that it has to be written out for us and be reminded, but it's the truth, isn't it? Sometimes we need to be reminded. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I think we could do a whole sermon right there, but we can't. I mean, we can, but we're not doing it today. Rejoice those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Apparently, in the church, they were dealing with some arrogant folks, right? And Paul is just calling it out, and he's like, don't think too highly of yourself. Oh, and don't be conceited. It's like, In case you missed it the first time, Paul's coming back and just reiterating, like, I'm tired of these arrogant jerks walking in this church, and that's what he's dealing with. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's jump right back to to 9. Love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Have you ever known anyone whose love was not sincere? If If it's not love... then then maybe, right? But I think love in itself, the actual carrying out of love, it comes from sincerity, right? If you don't truly love somebody, then there is no sincerity. But you see those people who fake it, and you go, that didn't even feel close to real at all. That felt forced. That felt like somebody was trying to make it. Can I tell you this? Here's what I've learned. The world can identify fake in a hurry. You can see it, right? You can pick up on it. Everybody else has the same ability to perceive real versus fake, right? And so when you see somebody doing things purely to be seen or to be, to be praised for what they're doing, you go, I don't buy that, right? I don't buy that. You look at it and you go, I don't think that was true. I don't think that was authentic. I don't think that was real. So you go, is that really love or is that just in a, a publicity stunt of some sort? Is that just look at me for what I'm doing? Look at me for how great I am in this moment. But it, I almost find that it's like in those moments where it's like, you know, I'm just going to do it so that it helps so that we can help. You know? Fake can be seen. And it happens in the church too. Guess what? I'm going to tell you this. Loving people can get messy. Loving with sincerity can get messy. It can be difficult. It can be hard. Here's what I'm proud to say about our church is our church has truly shown that they love people truly and generously and with sincerity. We've had a family in our church that have, they've gone through a difficult time in their home and a difficult time in their family. And we had people not just rally and bring meals and things like that. We had people come and give generously to them. And I was able to take a gift to them. And it was an incredible moment to be able to say, Hey, this is from people in our church and to bless them with with just an added gift and all of a sudden they're just weeping and I'm like, this is real love. Right? This is what the love of the body of Christ looks like as it as it goes forward and as it gives to those that are hurting and those that are in need. And in fact, Paul even taught he says, give to those who are in need. This is sincere love. So it, it it makes me proud as a pastor to say, you know what, our church is carrying out Romans twelve. We are loving with sincerity. He says, Be devoted to one another, put others above yourselves, and share with those in need. And I think as, as a church at Grace Hill, we're doing that in a lot of ways. Can we always be better? Oh, goodness. If we ever think we've arrived, then I give the Lord permission to just slap us across the face and say, get it together. Because we've, we will never be perfect. We'll never get it right. And there will be things that we get wrong along the way. But if we can be constantly working and striving to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that the love of God is true and sincere and authentic as it pours out from Grace Hill, we'll be moving in the right direction. We'll be moving in the right direction. So if I was to tell Lauren all the time, just only always just say, hey, I love you. 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 But there was no action that ever followed that. Do you think she would begin to question the level of my love or the sincerity of my love? Absolutely. What if, what if our relationship was simply uh, like I lay in bed and make her bring me everything and then I tell her, I love you? She'd be like, sure you do. You love what I do for you. You love what I bring. You love that I bring you breakfast in bed every day, which I may need to try to figure out how to make that. I'm just kidding. No, but how do, I, how, do I show the, how do I show that love, right? What does sincere love look like? Well, it's, it's, it's when I choose to to be like, you know what, I'm gonna help make lunches this morning. It's when I get up and I make breakfast for the boys. We have our old routine in the mornings. I make breakfast every morning, she makes lunch. But sometimes, how many of you know this, that she probably takes longer to get ready than I do? Uh, it's a guy-girl thing, right? So she just does, she takes lunch. So I'll go, you know what, I've got some time. I'll make lunches, right? Those kind of things, she comes home and the kitchen's clean, what's up? That's what I'm talking about, right? She's like, oh, you do love me. And I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. That's not how it goes. But, but showing the love, right? Doing those things, being, being sincere in your love requires action. Sincerity requires action. Because it can't just be heartfelt speech and, and heartfelt words. Yes, those do have their place and they do need to be said, right? But showing the love adds weight to the words, and as a church, I think we've done that, and we've done some incredible things. Uh, last weekend, we got to go to help our calling, and a lot of you got there, and you know what we did? We just cleaned. We cleaned for like three hours this entire place that, that goes, and they just love, and they serve the homeless people within our city. It was an incredible moment where we got to put action to our words. And were we there to make a big publicity stunt? No. Did we did we we didn't plaster it all over everything like look at us serve, look at us? No, we did it purely out of sincerity and to give and to be a part of of loving our neighbors and loving the people in our community. Love, loving sincerely requires action. I love this this verse when Paul says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And I think all of that kind of carries on as, as he continues through the end of Romans twelve here. We can be joyful in this world because we know the hope that we have. And we've talked about hope in the way Paul uses it. He doesn't use it in a sense of saying, uh, you know, well, maybe it's going to happen, but it's a sense of like, uh, there's, there's assurance in that hope saying, you know what, I, my hope is in the Lord and, I, and I'm, I'm steadfast in that. And I know that that my salvation is complete in the Lord and that, that I can stand assured in the grace of Jesus. I, my hope is in Jesus. So I can be joyful in that no matter what the world brings, no matter what I face, no matter what I'm up against, whatever difficulty I walk in, my hope is in the Lord. Therefore, I can have joy in any moment, in any circumstance. David writes, he said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And we got We can't miss the, the emphasis on the your, because it's, it's, it's the Lord who gives the salvation, right? And this is following the moment when, when David had, had fallen and it had his, his, his mess up with Bathsheba and, and all this. And in that moment, he's saying, let me, let me find the joy of your salvation again. And we can walk in that joy that is in the hope of the Lord. He said, be joyful in hope, knowing that our salvation is in the Lord. You can have joy in your persecution. As he says, be patient in affliction. In our sincere love, we can show kindness to those who persecute us. Isn't isn't the Bible great? In that it always and constantly is pushing us to do opposite of our natural tendencies and what we want to do, right? so, Listen, I I never feel more afflicted than when I drive through Dallas. And uh you know just just pure persecution. I'm telling you. They're like that man's a pastor, cut him off. Right? You know, I don't they don't know. They don't know. I think it's something in the spirit world. I'm just going to call it spiritual warfare and we'll <laughs> I'm going to just get back to my notes now. <laughs> but uh, you know, you have those moments where you go, man, alive, I feel so uh, uh, like you start to feel angry, just driving. How many of you know that feeling? Man, maybe it's just me and maybe I need to see a counselor. I don't know. We're just going, As I th- talk about this out loud, I'm going, this may not be healthy actually. Uh, but you have these moments where you're like, and all of a sudden, just stress begins to build just because you're driving from North Park Mall back to the house. And it's like, why am I angry now? What, what just happened? You walk in, kids are like, hey, dad, hey. You know, you're like, sorry, it was a white Camry. I don't even know. I just, my anger towards them was just directed to you, and I apologize. Right? Okay, that never happened. I'm just going to clarify. I didn't yell at my children walking in from the mall. But you feel that, right? And, and it's like, man, I can be patient. And being able to walk in patience during the affliction, so to speak, and, and obviously that is as minor and as small as it could be. And if I really had issues there, I really would need counseling because the reality is in a world full of problems, that's not one. But we do face difficulty and we face hardship. And a lot of times it's directed from people or it's brought on by others, things that are even said or misinterpreted or miscued, misunderstood. And, and, and all of a sudden, then it's being directed back at you and you go, you don't have the facts. You don't know the whole story. You don't know what happened. And, and so it's misplaced, right? And, it, and it's, it's misdirected. And in that we can walk and we can say, you know what? I, have, I, I can walk in patience because of the love that I walk in, because my love is sincere, because I have been renewed by the transforming of my mind. So as I walk in this new mind and in this new thought, I can be led and guided by the patience of the Lord and say, God, I trust you through this. I believe you through this, no matter what others are saying, what others are doing, in, in, in their ignorance even sometimes. Not, not that they're ignorant, but they just are unaware. Right? I can still have patience. I can still love them, and I can still, still pray blessing over them. I can be life-giving and encouraging to them even when they're unaware, fully. And it's all through the renewing of the mind. Because it goes against our nature. It goes against our nature, so it goes back to that metamorphosis that takes place by the Spirit through the transforming that happens in the renewing of our mind. Faithful in prayer. Paul talks a lot about prayer in his writings. Paul Paul places prayer as a crucial part of the Christian life. So you, you see it a lot in Paul's writings. He's like, you know, I, I, I pray for you often. He talked you hear Paul talk a lot about prayer as he walks through He telling, encouraging others to be in prayer, encouraging others to pray. And here he says, faithful in prayer, faithful in prayer. And that word faithful um, it is really not a strong enough statement in the way we understand faithful, like as in like just consistently showing up and just being there. Like, hey, he's a he's a faithful guy. He's always there. He comes on. You know, he works hard. He shows up on time. So more than that, so Paul is is expressing a stronger term of saying more than just faithful in prayer. He's like be constant in desperate deep prayer. Is really what Paul's saying. He's like, spend time with the Lord, and not just quietly sitting and waiting to hear, but he said, go after God in prayer. That's what Paul is, is trying to express in, in the Greek word that we don't really have a good translation for other than like, you know, constant or, or continual or, or, or faithfully or you know, those kind of things. And he's like, no, but it's so much just a fervent, strong prayer and, and, and consistently in prayer. He saying, be faithful in prayer. So, so to neglect prayer is like saying, thanks God, but I got this one. Neglecting prayer is like saying, you know what? I can handle it. I can make it through. I can do this. I'm a pretty tough individual, pretty thick skin. I'm going to carry on. I'm going to walk forward as if nothing ever happened. And on the inside, there's turmoil and there's desperation. And there just becomes these things being happen. The Lord's like, would you just stop and just ask me to help you? Are you so proud? He's, he, and it's that thought of, remember, I'm the one who has given you grace. Remember, I'm the one who is saving your soul. Just stop for a moment and pray. Be faithful in prayer. Devote time to your day. And here's one of the hardest things in the world. I, listen, I will agree with you and I will, I will admit to saying that I am not perfect in prayer. Is that fine if I tell you that, that, yes, I'm a pastor and I miss days in prayer? Is that fair? Y'all don't judge me like you don't think less of me now in this moment. You realize I am a human and that this, you know, so this is this understanding that, man, it is difficult sometimes to be continual and faithful in prayer day in and day out, right? But but there is this desire and this drawing from the Lord that we need to have that says, you know what, God, I need time with you today. I need time with you today. And I have found in my own life that when I am continually submitting to the Lord and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to spend time in prayer today. I'm going to spend time with you. All of a sudden, the things and the problems and the difficulties that I'm walking through begin to work themselves out. And sometimes it requires work on my part right? Let's, let's call it what it is. There are times when God's saying, okay, yes, I've given you the ability to do this. Now let me give you the boldness and, and the energy to make it happen. Now go make it happen. But there's a lot of times when I begin to pray and when I was coming here and I was like, God, there are so many things that I don't know. There's so many things I don't understand. There's so many things that, that I think need to happen. And need, and the Lord began to just do things. And all of a sudden, I get a phone call from a guy and I was going, man, I really need this to, to change. I wish we had something different with this setup. And this guy calls me and he's like, "Hey." I've um, been thinking, and uh, we probably need to, to kind of transition and, and do something different. And I go, the Lord, you just took care of that one. And he's like, yes, I did. And I'm like, why was I stressing? He said, like, well, you weren't praying enough, I don't know. I was like, oh, okay. So faithful in prayer, faithful in prayer. And when we pray, God works. And that's just plain and simple. Martin, Martin Luther says, you know, when, when man works, man works, but when man prays, God works we need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of action, but we need to be people of prayer. And then he brings it down to the end and he says, you know, talking about the enemies, he said, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing so, you will heap burning coals on their head. And I'm like, well, that just took a crazy turn. And didn't see that coming. He's like, love your enemies, love your enemies. But if you do it right, we're going to be dying. And you're like, oh, good. What just happened? Have you ever heard the expression, kill them with kindness? Yeah. Lauren is, is, is like the queen of using that expression and like saying that. She tells our boys all the time, you know, like, mommy, this kid's messing with me at school. And she's like, just kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. And then she, and then daddy comes along and is like, but if they hit you. <laughs> You hit them back and then ask if they're okay. I'm just kidding. I didn't tell them to ask if they were okay. So, uh, We may disagree in parenting, and that's fine. Uh, I'm going to point them to Jesus. And, uh, but that phrase, kill them with kindness, kill them with kindness, right? It's this idea of saying, you know what? Because of the love that we've been given, we can look beyond their faults, We can look beyond the the affliction that they're throwing away, the persecution, the judgment, the torment, or whatever is coming from these people. And we say, you know what? Because of the love of Jesus in me, I can feed you if you're hungry. I can give you something to drink if you're thirsty. And if in the end it drives you crazy because of how kind I'm being to you, that may only lead to reconciliation. And there is nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And the other thing we have to remember is that that the word here says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. A lot of people take that verse and they go, well, vengeance is mine. I'm like, you're not God. You're missing a crucial part to that verse. You're missing a crucial statement that you need to understand. Like, well, the Bible says it is mine to avenge. No, it is not yours because you're not the Lord. And that's hard to let go of sometimes when we we're driven by vengeance or revenge and we want to push, like, no, they did me wrong, therefore I must do wrong back to them, right? I mean, you just heard how I expressed to my children, right? Like, well, if they hit you, you can end it. You know, so I always tell them, you can't start a fight, but you can end one. <laughs> anyway. Things that I learned from my father, who learned from his father, who learned from his father, so this is generational. so It's, <laughs> it's set in deep in me right now that we're working through it, right? And so there's this, this, this draw that says, you know what, Though because of the love of the Father in me, I can love in, turn, in return. And that's difficult. And that is contrary to our natural desires. And that's what the Word of God does to us, where it pushes against our innate and natural desires and says, no, this is, this is I understand why you think this way because you're human, but the Lord says to not do that but to think in these terms instead. And that only happens when we are renewed by the transforming of our minds. And that's where it all begins. That is the, the outpouring of sanctification is happening in the mind, where we are transformed and changed so that we can be who God is calling us to be, to act the way God has called us to act, to do what God has called us to do. I'll invite the worship team to join me. if there's anything that I could wrap this up with as it pertains to Romans 12, is just what we've been saying this whole time. It's transformation by the renewing of the mind transformation by the renewing of the mind. If there is a difficulty in your life, if there is a struggle that you have, if there is that that one sin that you go, you know, I just cannot break this. I can't shake it. I can't move beyond this. I I can't get past this. I can't let this go. And you go, what do I have to do to be rid of this? And it starts with the transforming of your mind. The transforming of your mind where you say, I am no longer bound by... The sin that so so easily entangles. I'm no longer bound by the chains that had me pulled down or weighted down. But now, through the freedom of grace, I can be transformed by the renewing of my mind. The transforming of the renewing of my mind. This morning, with with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we come to an end this morning, and as we as we wrap this up, I just. I know this morning that there are those here that you say, you know what, Pastor Ryan, there are things in my life that I am struggling to be free of. There are things in my life that I'm struggling to be rid of. There are things in my life that I am struggling to be done with. There are things that I, I continually fight and I continually battle and I hide it. And I'm ashamed of it. And That could be a world of things. That could be a world of things. That could be everything from from hidden sexual sin to things that are that are more more obvious and maybe easy to hide, but 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 you try to conceal it. Could be pride. It could be pride. It could be it could be anger. It could be uh, it could be you know just harsh words it could be gossip it could be slander there's so many things that you go you know what these are things that I deal with that I carry that I walk with that I go I don't want that anymore I'm ashamed of it I, I feel disgusted by it I'm aware of it and I want freedom from it let me tell you it starts with being transformed by the renewing of your mind we repent we go to the Lord and we say, Father, forgive me, I I repent of this. And that is not just to say that I I just need, I'm just wanting it out there. No, repentance is a turning from what we say. I lay it before you, God, now help me to turn from that. And then he says, step into the transformation of the renewing of the mind. Let my spirit be at work within you from the inside out. If you're influenced by the world, you're a conformer. But if if you're changed by God, you can be a life transformer. And so so saying, God, I'm going to step into the new that you have for me. I'm going to step into the world that you want me to to be living in and the changes that you want me to make so that I can see changes in lives around me so that I can be effective for your kingdom. And a lot of us sometimes we are bound up and, and, and controlled by the battles in the mind. leads into continual conformity and God is saying stop what you're doing and be transformed by the renewing of your mind by the renewing of your mind so Jesus in this moment right now I stop Lord and I just say Father I pray that for those that are here this morning that I say, you know what, God, you see me, you know what I'm walking with, you know what I'm dealing with, you see where I'm at, you know the, the, the struggles in my mind, you know the struggles that I'm facing, you know what I'm up against, and Lord, you are the only one who is able to help me to overcome this, and so in the name of Jesus right now, I pray that that as they sit there where they are, where you are right now, just begin to lift your voice and begin to just say, Father, help me to be renewed, help me to be renewed and transformed, so God, I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray Pray, Lord, that there will be a cleansing and a renewing in the minds that then pours out into action, that begins to pour out then into to a new love and a new service for you, God, that begins to allow change to take place at a depth that they've not known and that they've not felt. Lord, let me tell you right now, there is something powerful in in the world of of... of, of repentance and I've talked about this before that that repentance is so here's what here's what the enemy will do I'm gonna just do this quickly here's what the enemy will do as you as you hold that thing in as you keep it isolated as you hide it as you conceal it guess what it has over you it has authority and power over you. it it becomes controlling because it is concealed within you. So the enemy uses that then to restrict you and to keep you from reaching your potential because you are allowing it to control you rather than you saying, you know what, in the name of Jesus it goes. So there's the powerful side of repentance where you say, you know what? This is no longer concealed in me. I'm now letting this go and setting it out. And so now there is new light shined on that thing that has been hidden within you that you go, I just can't beat it. I can't beat it. I can't get over it. I can't get over it. And so when you say, you know what? I repent of it. Guess what? Now you have brought it to light. So what was once in darkness and controlling is now brought to light and cannot have victory over you because now it is brought before others. And all of a sudden you go, I wanna walk in freedom. I wanna walk in victory. I don't wanna walk bound by this anymore. So there's freedom in repentance. And then when as you lay that before the Lord and he says, now we have freedom to work and to move and there's an openness and a willingness to receive and to hear from the spirit to come and to work through renewal and the transforming of your mind. It becomes a new creation, a new thought listen I've walked through that. I've walked through through repentance and difficulty even into marriage and stuff that you just go man and all of a sudden there was a freedom and a weight that was lifted and it was as if the Lord said now we can we can really move forward. we can really do something. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.